this week's Adam Schefter podcast, as we are in the midst of a pandemic and trying to figure out how to deal with it and tackle it, we will sit down and talk with the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean, who will be one of 32 general managers navigating the draft in a way that has never been done before. In his house, maybe in his home office, in his basement, a virtual draft has come to the NFL because that's what the times demand. And then we'll be joined by the former ESPN anchor, Bob Lee, whose voice is sorely missed on ESPN, but who's so wise in so many areas that I wanted to reach out to him to bring him in to get his thoughts on the coronavirus pandemic now going through the United States. And we'll get a medical update from the NFLPA's medical director, Dr. Tom Mayer, as he gives us an update in scientific data and what to look forward to in regards to the COVID-19 virus that has turned all of our lives upside down. And a lot of people have wondered where this is all going, whether we'll get back football. We heard Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, last week say that there has to be testing, widespread testing, before we can contemplate getting fans back in the stadium. We've heard some people talk about playing NFL games in front of empty stadiums. And let me just say this. If that happens, there's fallout beyond just the fallout of not having fans there. The NFL's salary cap is derived from the revenue of fans showing up. So if there are no fans at games this year, that means each team would have roughly $100 million in lost revenue in tickets and concessions and parking. And that would be $100 million times 32, $320 million. Take that off the salary cap in 2021, and we could see the NFL salary cap drop 30, 40, $50 million in 2021, which would cause teams to slash veterans and cap contracts in a way that nobody thought about. So it's one thing for fans to be talking about playing in front of empty arenas. There's a financial component that would tremendously impact the NFL, although that's secondary to the health and safety of the players and the fans. We know that, but it's just one of the unintended consequences that I don't think has generated any conversation that will be talked about more and more as we move forward here. The NFL draft is right around the corner. ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr. and Tom McShay talk all things NFL draft on their podcast, First Draft. Make sure you're staying up to date by downloading and subscribing to First Draft as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into today's podcast, here's a quick word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, sleeping, trauma, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and my listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code Schefter. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com backslash Schefter. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Betterhelp.com backslash Schefter. Now, now let's get to today's episode starting with the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. And Brandon, now you know how I feel when you're live on ESPN's NFL Live, they break the news that the NFL draft, it's now official, it's virtual, you'll be drafting from your home. What is that setup going to be like for you from April 23rd to 25th, the NFL draft unfolding as your home for it? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I had to go on ESPN to uh, to get the news of the day uh, of what the draft's going to be like, but uh, we've been preparing for that, Adam, all along. Uh, we've we've known it was going to be multiple scenarios. So, um, you know, we'll see. My IT guy, Dan Evans, uh, he he may be the MVP of this draft uh, coming up because he's got a lot of pressure on him, and uh, he's actually uh, at my house now working on things. So, uh, you know, I don't know the exact setup, but we've got we're looking at a couple of options, uh, either my office or, or down in my basement. So we'll we're going to look at everything and and. Uh, Either way, we'll find a way to make it work. What would be your reaction if I had told you one month ago that you'll be drafting this year in your home office or your basement? 
Uh, I would have said I probably got fired and I was in a fantasy league or something. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just uh, I don't think it's crazy. I was talking to our media the other day and and it was less than a month ago. I was at at Clemson at a pro day and uh, when this all started unfolding and just uh, man, the way the world has changed even since since the combine to to where we're at today of you know 100% that we're going to be drafting out of our homes and having a virtual NFL draft just never seem fathomable but uh again it's it's the world we live in now and it's it's uh, I understand it's the right thing to do with the social distancing so um it's it's the same Adam for all 32 teams so I don't look at it as a disadvantage uh we'll we'll find a way and and uh it'll be one of those ones uh maybe in 20 years they do a 30 for 30 I'll remember the 2020 draft of uh the virtual draft but what will it be like for a general manager like yourself for the three days of the draft do you set up your board in your house? Do you have your kids running into the room during the draft? What will it be like to have to draft from your home? Yeah, um, you know, I think we'll, you'll definitely, in my mind, um, you, you know, you're going to use technology, but you're going to have to have some some fail-safe things, and you'll have to have some version of your board, um, you know, in your house, you know, whether it's the magnets that, that you, you know, some teams normally use or, um, you know, index cards, however you want to do it, uh, you're going to have to, to set up something in case technology fails. But, uh, again, it'll be fine, Adam. It's one of those things. It's, it's a small inconvenience in, in, in what our world is dealing with right now. But, Brandon, it's going to be so much different than it normally is for a lot of different reasons, obviously. And because of that, how do you think it'll impact trades? Because think of all the times you've been on the clock and you're wheeling and dealing, you're taking calls, now, everybody in everybody's organization is in an isolated location. Communication becomes more challenging. And trades, I would think, become a little bit more difficult while you're on the clock with everybody scattered about. How do you view the impact of people drafting from their homes impacting trades and activity on draft day? Yeah, I, I think, Adam, you're right. I think there's going to be, first of all, you're going to have some people that uh, are going to be a little hesitant, that are just too many hoops to jump through. And, again, I, I, at this point as we're talking, um, I don't know exactly how that's going to happen. I mean, uh, used to you execute the tr- – you know, you agree to terms with a, another GM or another team, and then they have someone call, you know, the, the league office, um, Ken Fiore or, or someone in his staff – and then we do the same. They're all on the phone. They wait. And then once both teams have agreed to the same terms, then the league says it's official. Um, I don't know if it's going to be exactly like that or not, or if, it, if there's going to be some type of electronic, um, you know, email or something like that. So, again, I think we're going to have to see how complicated is it versus what we're used to and what's the what's the time constraints. And are there going to be any parameters once or twice in the draft where you can extend it. You can ask to be extended two minutes or something like that to execute it. So I think all those, as I said here today, are still some unknown questions, and I think that will um, decide how many teams do get comfortable with what's going on to be able to make moves. And in a regular draft, give us an idea, Brandon, how much communication is there amongst people who you're sitting amongst at that particular time when you're on the clock or coming up to the clock, considering a trade, contemplating a pick, whatever it may be? Yeah, you can have several, you know, if you're trying to, let's say, trade up for a pick um, or, or trade out of a pick, you know, I may have three different people talking to three different teams, and I may be texting back and forth with one um, that I've had a conversation with. So you could have different options on the table, Adam, and that's where it will get harder because, you know, you can only talk to so many different people in remote sites um, to where normally you'd be in the same room you know, five, six feet away from each other. So I think all that will limit um, to your point. And and I wouldn't be surprised if there were less trades this year than what we normally see. I had a general manager tell me last week, Brandon, that as he was working from home and going through some exercises and talking to the people in his office, his internet went out. And you just wonder if there's going to be a situation this year where maybe that happens, where we've seen teams skip their turn for various reasons, the Vikings that one year when Kevin Williams wound up being the pick and they went right past them. I wonder if somebody's internet's going to go out. I wonder if some team is going to have their Zoom call hacked, which people are worried about. I mean, there are all different kinds of concerns that now come into play that might not have been 
in play before. As we head into this draft, is there something that you thought about that concerns you about doing it from home at a time where everybody's facing the same challenges? You know, I think all those are, are legit concerns, Adam. Uh, I think it's probably the biggest concern is, is the unknown. You know, you, you've mentioned some of the things that have already entered our heads and, and other GM's heads, um, but what are we not thinking about? And that's probably uh, the biggest question that I'll think about over the next, you know, two and a half weeks is um, what, you know, what are we not, what are we missing here? What what could go wrong And uh, from, you know, losing your power to losing your internet um, and then, you know, cell service or something crazy. I mean, at the end of the day, hopefully you've got cell service where you're at. Your phone, you better have some phone chargers available because you know you're going to be using your cell uh, more than ever. But, uh, again, who knows how it will go. Uh, we're going to try and do our best to be ready for anything, um, and, and we'll just we'll take it uh, we'll take it day by day. But guess what? You've already made your first-round pick. Stephon Diggs, Buffalo Bills. So you don't have to worry about that, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, that's You know what? Uh, I have thought about with this is um, I'll bet you we'll hear some things on Thursday night, some things that went well and things that didn't. So uh, not that I don't want a first round pick. I would much, I would love to be picking still in the first round. But uh, with that said, maybe this was, if I was going to every year to trade out of the first round, maybe this was the year uh, to give everybody else a nice, uh, a night to test, you know, the technology and, and see if there are any kinks before our pick in the second round. So you get a run-through in the first round to get ready for rounds two through seven on Friday and Saturday. But before I let you go, Brandon, what will Stephon Diggs bring to the Buffalo Bills offense? You know, I think he's going to bring uh, – he, he's a competitive, competitive young man, uh, like great with contested balls. Um, you know, one of the things, Adam, that, that we faced last year that, that I wouldn't say we, we were perfect at all times was press man coverage. And this guy is really good with his releases, just winning those one-on-one battles. And so when teams want to play us like that, uh, it gives us somebody that I think right away Josh would know, hey, they're in press, man. Uh, you know, we're going to take our chances on getting to Stefan. He's a big play guy. Uh, you know, it's it's hard. And we ran into this some where we moved the ball, you know, eight, nine, ten plays, and we either came away with a field goal or, or no points. And having that big play potential that you see some of these teams have uh, to have a three-play drive, you know, 55-yard touchdown or something like that, he brings that element. And uh, so we're looking forward to, to getting him in once, uh, we, you know, our country gets past this coronavirus, and, and uh, I think he'll definitely add an element to our offense. Well, I'll leave you with this, Brandon. Stephon Diggs has averaged 73 catches per season during his NFL career. The last time a Bills receiver – had that many catches in a season with Stevie Johnson in 2012. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. Well, uh, we got some, uh, we got some goals to aim for with Stefan. Well, there you go. Uh, Brandon, I really appreciate the time today. Thank you very much for the insight. Be well, stay safe and good luck with the first virtual draft and hopefully the last virtual draft of our lifetimes. <laughs> Thanks Adam. Uh, stay safe and all the best to you and your family. We'll talk soon, Brandon. Take care. And there is the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. Think about that, a virtual draft, really incredible. And everybody is by him or herself. So there's no company around. There's no one else to bounce an opinion off of in person. There's nobody else there to share a cheeseburger with after a pick or pop a beer after you celebrate getting the guy you wanted in a draft. Basically, each individual will be working from his or her own home office, basement, whatever it may be. We've never seen that before in the NFL. It'll be a lot like your fantasy football draft at home. So there's Brandon Bean. And now for another personal look at what our country is facing, somebody whose voice I miss on ESPN's airwaves, longtime ESPN anchor, Bob Lee. Joining us now, my friend, my former colleague, though I hate to even say that. I like to think of you as just a colleague still. Man who left ESPN at the end of June 2019, Bob Lee, did so many great things while he was there. The host of Outside the Line, Sports Center anchor, soccer broadcaster, and truly the man who, when there was any sort of crisis on air, there is nobody at ESPN, nobody who could or would handle it better than Bob. And so in a day and age where we are facing this pandemic, the one voice I wish we had on our network today still would be yours, Bob Lee. And so being that I wish that we would have your voice on for your knowledge, wisdom, and guidance, I figured, you know what? 
Let's get your voice on the podcast and let's hear it there. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Or as well as anybody can, can hope to be doing. Thank you for those kind words. I mean, we're, um, we're doing okay. And, uh, it's a whole new reality. Look, I'm going to say things that don't sound original to start with because we're all feeling our way through this. Um, we're, um, we're, uh, separated from our kids, my grandkids and my dad because we were at our, we're blessed to have a second residence and it struck when we were down here. And so, you know, you're dealing at a distance with all those things and you try not to overload on too much media and you try to, you know, stay plugged in and you try to do it. We're all learning how to deal with a whole new landscape and uh, it's a challenge. If you treat it as a, uh, as an exciting challenge, it'll help you get through the day. So yeah. And I, you know, I, I would, and I keep an eye on what you're doing and I know you, you know, you're covering stuff and angles of stories and substance of stories you never dreamed you'd be covering, like how the league's going to cover a draft or stage a draft uh, digitally without any in-person. It's. I hope when we can, when we tell our grandkids about this and reflect on this in the next 20 or 30 years that there are, are a lot of positives we can take out of this, and I, some days I struggle to see those. Do you miss being on air at a time like this because your voice is so valuable and your perspective is so essential? And this is a story for you, Bob. Like, this would be your story. Well, I appreciate that. But at a certain point, there's only so much to the sports component of it. So when you ask if I miss being on air, I mean, when it all broke initially, I mean, I, you know, when Adam Silver moved quickly, the day that Tom Hanks was diagnosed with Rita Wilson in Australia, you know, it became apparent that, uh, you know, this was spiraling into something that we've never seen before. Yeah, there was a little bit of that, but as it settled down, a this is not a sports story. There's only so much I think you can offer from a sports perspective. There's there's the there's the factual side of it, but this this I mean I'm staying busy. I, I've, I'm teaching some college classes. I've done a you know yours is one of several podcasts that I've been privileged to be part of. I've done a number of things, uh, uh, so I, I am staying busy and also just managing, just being a responsible citizen, staying updated on the news and whatnot is, is consuming uh, a fair amount of your time because I mean we've got to be prepared for what's on the other side of this and uh, you know I don't know I don't think there are people in charge of all of this that have really given a lot of thought to that. That's my personal opinion. Bob, you bring up the other side of it. What's on the other side of this? What is in your mind? Wow. I mean, it depends. Do you want to talk about? The, you know, I, I, I view this in concentric circles. We're all challenged to deal with the concentric circles in our life. There is you and your immediate family, you know, staying good practices, hygienic and, and, and well provisioned. Then there's the larger, uh, concentric circle of, uh, people around you, whether they be, be neighbors or extended family. Then there's your community. How can you help and do it safely? And then there's the biggest concentric circle of our society. Um, and so, on the other side of this, I, you know, you, you, I see, I spend next to no time thinking about sports when I think about what's on the other side of this. Uh, and this is after spending a lifetime professionally in it. I mean, I, I I'm concerned about what we're going to leave our kids in terms of the reshaping of our society, about the economy, about, about uh, the delivery of health care in this country, about what this virus is exposed, about the inequalities in this country, even for those that might have been slow to understand that as a reality. And um, there's a lot of stuff going on. And if anybody tells you they know, they don't know. But I think if you consider yourself – look, if you've got a political problem with the leadership, and Lord knows you should because it's been criminally negligent, there's a time to address this, and it's called Election Day. Um and so that that'll be coming up. So you can only spend so much energy being angry at the incompetence of certain uh, aspects to the leadership here. And you've got to be constructive. And you've got to think to yourself, how can I make a difference in this? And how can I impact things that I can control? I mean, just small little item here, Adam, small item. Uh, yeah. I, we're blessed to have a place in the Florida Keys. Which there is where was, you are right now, I take it? Exactly. Yep. And there was an instituted about uh, two weeks or a week and a half ago, a, a roadblock or a checkpoint that was to prevent people from driving down from the mainland and as they were trying to get tourists and visitors to leave. And at one point, the state police component of that roadblock and, and checkpoint was going to be lifted. And I, I know I was one of a number of people, but I took the time to write the, the county mayor and our, our city mayor and our state rep and whatnot 
saying, do not do this, act and, you know, protect this area so that there's an effective quarantine. And all those voices made a difference. And that's just a small bore thing in an immediate goal. But I think, you know, looking forward, we all have a responsibility to be invested in what's going to be happening on the other side. I mean, you know, it's, it's, these are public policy questions. You know, as you and I have corresponded uh, in the last couple of days, as you, you know, the idea that the Bengals are on the clock. Yeah. Who the F cares? I mean, I, I, I understand fully and embrace and celebrate the diversion and the entertainment aspect of sports. But uh, and I need it, too. I spent a half hour last night on YouTube watching New York Met ceremonial first pitches. And I got a little emotional watching it because wow. I, miss, I miss opening game. I, I'll fall into those YouTube wormholes and miss this stuff with the best of them. But let's 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 get serious here. You know, the issues that have been, you know, exposed and, and, and highlighted by the last three weeks are much larger than whether the NFL is going to have a season. And then if the president feels necessary to, you know, to float that idea now is like, it's, that's, I don't know, it's irresponsible, but that's a long line of irresponsible things for him. You, you talk about what's on the other side of this, and I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. It, it has taken a pandemic that was as unimaginable as planes flying into the World Trade Center and bringing those buildings down, essentially knocking out New York's two front teeth. You couldn't imagine that. And remember back in the day, you used to be able to go to the airport and pick up your guest at the gate. They would get off the plane and you would be right there to greet them. And then that changed after 9-11 because we had to go through TSA and, and all the security measures at the airport as it should be. And that was one of the many ways our world changed. It became a much more dangerous world, less safe, more security measures in place. So what is the fallout from this that I've wondered? Is it going to be that we're having testing done at arenas that you need to be free of temperature and any virus before you walk into the stadium? Every person's being screened. Are they going to have people that are spread out in the stands? Are they going to have... People in movies, like the movies exist? Does Chuck E. Cheese exist? The restaurants exist? Is the way we lived our life a month ago, does that exist, Bob? It, no, it can't, right? So much of this involves science, which is a foreign concept to some people. How all 50 states are on their lockdowns, I fail to understand. Isn't that amazing to me? Well, you I live, I live up and I'm smell the coffee, in, man. I'm currently in Florida. And our governor waited so long down here, and we're uh, three weeks behind New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, where we have our other home, where we've lived for 40 years. And I, I, I see the, and I, I talk to people, you know, in the, my family's in the tri-state area, and I talk to yeah. them every day, and, and you know, see what's coming down here, and people here, even if you're observing good practices as best you can, they really don't understand unless they're invested in. A, you, but parenthetically, you can only spend so many hours a day being plugged into this responsibly because you, you do have to hit the pause button, escape, and and then reset. But, well, you know, I, I, on a macro scale, all of these failed businesses or failing businesses or shuttered businesses, I mean, the restaurant business is so tough. I mean, how many of them will not come back at all from this? In the best of times, mm-hmm. the failure rate in restaurants is huge. Um, I can remember as a child being, I think, seven, it would have been 1962, being taken by my parents to line up at my elementary school outside the gym on a Sunday. And I remember being led in there with my folks and, and my sister, who would have been, what, four at the time, I guess, five, and being handed a little cup in which was a sugar cube. And on that sugar cube was the Salk uh, vaccine, oral vaccine. Wow. And I distinctly remember that. And, hell, that is, you know, what is that, almost 60 years ago. Uh, and it may come down wow. to something like that. There, you know, the vaccine is at least 18 months away. So, you know, if everybody has to take responsibility for themselves. And I know some people bristle at that as saying, well, there should be, you know, the government should be taking. Yes. Yes. Agreed. That's been illustrated here. But you got to take responsibility for yourself, you know, just because. Someone is going to stage a game. If you're in your late 60s, do you want to really go to that game, regardless of what the seating parameters are? Uh, you hit it on the head. A lot of the conventions, the handshake, the handshake. Oh, oh, just a common thing like that, Bob. You, you would see somebody. If I if I saw you right now, I'd want to give you a hug. I'd want to give you a handshake. I haven't seen you in a little while. Yes. It'd be great to see my friend Bob Lee. Are we doing that? 
when this is over, when the quarantine lifts? Am I ever going to shake your hand again? Am I ever going to shake another person's hand again? You know, there's a doctor down here who's the chief of staff at our local hospital, and his name is Dr. John Norris. And Jack puts out a Facebook post on his personal page and on one of the city uh, pages down here. And Facebook is proving to be invaluable because it's it's far ahead of uh, of the struggles of local media down here. And he and two days ago, on the occasion of the second coronavirus death in our in our town, uh, he put up a post, and in the course of which, and I, I tweeted it, it didn't get a lot of pickup. Maybe I'll put it back up. But Jack said, and it is this this doctor's working twenty hours a day, seven days a yeah. week. Says, this virus uses our humanity against us. That the instinct, even in a hospital setting, is that you want to hold the hand of those who are ill, comfort them, give them some human touch. I mean, the stories of families unable to be with their loved ones as they pass is just simply wrenching. And you're right. I mean, the instinct is to to gather, is to to talk. I mean, we were on a we were on a a Zoom cocktail party the other night with seven couples, some of whom we hadn't seen since our, our wedding uh, back when dinosaurs were on the earth, and it was great. And then you find yourself reaching out. So I mean, that's that's the upside. Uh-huh. But, there, there, there is, there is, there is a reordering to some things coming. Even if the 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 surge is is, is flattened, the curve is flattened, and things work out most. Even if hydrochlorazine is the miracle cure, even if all of that is granted, uh, there are massive changes coming. Oh, hey, how about that? You know, little again, way of life we're talking, right? That's all. College buddy of mine, his mom died of the virus Thursday night. Um, they had a virtual funeral yesterday, Sunday, and tonight they are having a virtual shiva call in the Jewish religion, a virtual shiva call. So I will be on a Zoom shiva call with my college buddies tonight, 7 Eastern, and we will try to comfort our friend who lost his mom to the coronavirus. I mean, just think about that. It, it just, these scenarios, these situations are so beyond comprehension right now. That you can be quarantined, that you can't be around humans, you can't touch them, you can't mourn for them, you can't be around a dying loved one. And I put on CNN the other day, and there was a woman they were interviewing who lost her mom, and the nurse held up the phone, and they had to say goodbye, and the CNN anchor had a hard time being composed. I know you would have been composed at a moment like that, Bob. You never would have lost it. But this CNN anchor was remarkably, she, she was remarkably affected by the whole story, as anybody who was watching would be, and it's just a sign of our times. If you were on air today, if you were still working at our shop, what would be the one thing you'd want to convey to people out there? Is there anything at all? I think to uh, to be try to be as, as calm about this as you can be, while at the same time assuming as much responsibility and learning as much as you can. You are responsible. We hold we hold the key to, to stopping this. Each one of us can stop this. I mean to that I mean science has proven that. You know, and yet, you know, I, I sit on my porch and I want to yell at people as I see them going by, uh, doing things that are just, <laughs> just not smart. Yeah. And, 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 and you say, well, you know, that's their bit. Well, it's not their business because when they get sick, they infect the next 10 people and that person could then infect us in some regard. But I, I would, I would, I would urge people to, to, to take charge of their situation, to do the best they can, and to learn, and to remember, remember the good that's coming out of this. There is a lot of humanity being evidenced, and to remember, uh, you know, on the other side of this, there, you're, you may not be old enough to remember, but I, I remember John F. Kennedy's assassination in 1963, yeah. and I remember the next year, I remember the very day watching the evening at 6 p.m. It's on a Sunday when they released the Warren Report, and the Warren Report was commissioned by President Lyndon Johnson. He appointed the Chief Justice Earl Warren, who was a Republican. Imagine that in those days. Hmm. Um, and co-chaired by Jerry Ford, another Republican, uh, to investigate the Kennedy assassination and lay it all out. There has to be on the other side of this. At some point, a nonpartisan, impartial commission put together to look at this preparedness, wrong decisions, right decisions, heroes, less than heroes, so that going forward, and this will happen again, going forward that there is a way to deal with this that will not leave us as, as apparently unprepared you know and you can scream and yell the screaming and yelling do it at the ballot box find mm-hmm. time for that but uh you know 
our kids are learning by what, and our grandkids from watching how we deal with this and handle it. And hopefully the messages imparted will be positive and good ones. You bring up President Kennedy's assassination. Uh, that was before me, uh, slightly before me. But we have that as an incident that I think of. We have certainly have 9-11. We, I, I think of the Space Shuttle Challenger. I think of all the school shootings in Newtown and Columbine. Does this remind you or compare to anything that you've experienced before? Uh, this, 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 this overwhelms it, Adam, because it's universal and it's not just the emotional impact on you of watching on 9-11 and growing up in North Jersey and you're, you're, a, you're an island guy. I mean, you know, we felt that viscerally and my gosh, you put it in your own life and people that know your personal situation are well aware of that. But, but this impacts your personal safety. I mean, this is, this is where, this is where it's, it's, I'll, I'll use the verb. It, this is where it trumps everything else. And so it, it, it transcends the Kennedy assassination. It transcends 9-11. It transcends any other, you know, personal tragedies you may have been involved with in that regard because your conduct can help or hurt the situation. So stay inside, flat. I mean, I, it sounds like a broken record, but we have a response yeah, yeah. to do that. And, 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 and to be calm about it and to remember and remember who, who's done it well and who's not done it well. And there will be a day of reckoning for that. Yeah. You know, when we bring up the scope of this, Bob, what, what really concerns me to be frankly honest about it is that the medical component right now, I mean, it's a pandemic. As we record this, there are 9,654 deaths in the United States, according to Johns Hopkins University. Uh, there are 70,590 deaths globally due to this pandemic. The medical component is so huge. The science component is so huge. But the economic part of this, we're just beginning to feel the mental part of this, the stress and the strain that's going to drive people mad. How is this impacting children in a world where they're going to be growing up? You still remember being given that tablet all these years later. What are our children going to remember about this? How are they going to be affected by it? How are people going to be affected by this long term? What's the economic fallout of this? Again, there were, what was it, 3 million unemployment claims in one week and 10 million over two weeks. I mean, it's just yeah. off the charts. And, and, and yes, and it's, it's the idea of a V-shaped recovery, I think, is beginning to kind of wither on the vine. That would be a sudden recovery. Um, I, I you know, look on the other side of this is going to be there have to be much higher taxes to to pay for all of this. On the other side of this is going to be a renewed and uh, discussion about the uh, universal uh, single payer health care. You're talking to a guy, Adam, who just last month went on Medicare. So suddenly I'm a socialist. Right. And, you know, my politics. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you for paying for my health care, frankly. But, oh, my pleasure, Bob. Hey, thank you. Uh, God willing, I don't need it beyond the uh, the trivial. But uh, the point is, it is a discussion that that is going to have to be had, and because among the things that the Republican White House has been trumpeting has been, you know, dropping copays for testing and copays for treatment for this. Well, okay, fine. And you look at some of the exquisite reporting the New York Times has done on the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, a division of the impact of this. And, you know, these are some of the seminal questions. This is going to be years in getting, you know, getting sorting through this. There are going to be opportunities for people. There are going to be jobs created because of this. There's going to be many more jobs lost. I mean, one of my daughters is on furlough from her position. And, uh, you know, I, 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 of the information that ESPN is going to begin furloughing people. And it's, it's difficult. And, uh, you know, our parent corporate, your parent corporation, I still have that, that pronoun problem, but the stock price is not encouraging at, at, at the Walt Disney Company. We all know that. So let me ask this question on, on a nice, warm, friendly note. What uh, have you been doing with your time uh, up until this up until this virus hit? Uh, very involved with my uh, alma mater, Seton Hall, doing um, taught a class. In fact, taught uh, one just a couple of weeks ago. Just audited one about uh, forty five minutes ago. Uh, where uh, Ernie Johnson of TBS addressed B.J. Schechter's sports media class. I was happy to put the two of those guys together. Wow. Um, uh, spending, a, you know, spending a lot of time. Uh, we were in the process of relocating uh, from Connecticut to another state part-time, but that's on hold. Uh, it's just reading, uh, recalibrating my life, uh, and, and um, you know, not having trouble adjusting. I, I did say to my wife the other day, I said, boy, if this pandemic and a lockdown had hit, <laughs> the 
we had been, you know, trapped here uh, while I was working. We just come down for a week and a week and a half or something. If I'd gone from full out working to this, I, I don't know, you know, it would be like a wily coyote skateboarding into a wall, you know. It, 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 so it's been, it, it's helped the transition uh, coming from retirement to this. But I, I, you know, I miss all my good friends. Certainly, you're on that on that long list of people that I, I work with on a daily basis. But and I. I got to tell you, though, when I turn on the TV and I see people still in the studio in Connecticut, I, part of me just says, oh, man, that's not good. Just, I, I understand the precautions that are taken, and I understand the thinking behind it, and I understand the options that are provided people. Just it's like it's on the other side of this, the broadcast industry is going to change, Adam. Um, the green eye shades are going to get a hold of, well, let's see, we used – Skype and we used Zoom and we used FaceTime for the length of the pandemic and we did it with no studio. We did it with this, we did it with that. Huh. How many, you know, what are our costs at the same time when across the broadcast industry, all of these wounded corporations are going to have to bid on the National Football League rights? Yeah. Most coveted and necess- necessary property for any of them to have. I mean, that's a toxic mix of cost cutting. And, uh, and and a major property coming up at the same time, uh, and that's that's not that far down the road. So what happens with that? If you had to guess, so what, <laughs> we're talking about the fall in, in 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 our business. So does that mean that I don't know? You tell me. What, what do you think there? I think there's going to be a hard rain falling. Yeah. At a number of places with some very difficult decisions. I mean, look, the NFL is a very very smart group of people, and they know they have a coveted. Uh, requirement, uh, you know, the, if, if you're a, a service, a broadcast service, cable service, or even now a streaming service, you want it or you almost in many cases need it. It provides that last mass audience that's available in, in American uh, communication absent a nation being locked down in their homes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they're, they're businessmen and women. And so, uh, you know, you're not going to see, no one's going to bring compassion to the, to the bargaining table. There's going to be a lot of hard conversations. So I, I, I think, uh, again, to borrow from Dylan, it's going to be a hard rain. It's going to fall. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. And when would you guess, if you could even venture a guess, uh, we will see a semblance of the sports world return? <sighs> I don't know. People that know that are closer to their respective sports than me, and I'm talking to one, um, I've seen increasing indications that the college football and because some of these, the southern states where college football is king and, and, you know, are not adopting lockdowns, they're going to be late to the dance of this horrible pandemic. No college football season. Will there be an NFL season? I mean, you know, so many people want that. It, I mean, that's a powerful signal. That's a powerful, powerful signal. Just like Adam Silver that, you know, that night in March, uh, postponing the balance of the season. Uh, if the NFL makes some sort of a decision. But I, I, I tell you what, it's going to be spring training 2021 before I think, the, you know, we'll hear the voice of the turtle and be able to think that, you know, maybe the Mets won't screw up this year. Uh, what, I say, what, I, what I would say with the NFL, Bob, is that the same league that pushed through free agency in mid-March, the same league that is going to have a draft at the apex of this pandemic on April 23rd through the 25th, they'll find a way to get the league. The, the season played somehow, some way. It may not be on time. It may be reduced. It may be in locations with no fans. I don't know what form it's going to take. I don't know when it will happen. But a group that is that determined to do what it has already will find a way with the billions of dollars at stake to get a football season played. Well, yeah, it's all about the dead presidents. And you've got, you know, your football audience basically, well, you would think by the fall, not so much captive at home. Uh, and look, if they, if they if they can do it safely under whatever strictures regarding studio uh, stadium seating, it's fun, then go for it because we'll need it culturally and emotionally. Everybody will need it, but um, you know it, it, they're going to be you know hard hard decisions about numbers of games, precautions. Uh, you know, would you even play it absent any state you know, any fans? Yeah. yeah, well, it comes back to what's on the other side of it that we talked about earlier here, right? What's on the other side of that? What's on the other side of it? What does it look like? How is it taken in? What is the atmosphere? It's just hard to imagine that we're going to see a football game kick off on the first Sunday of September, the way it normally would, with 70,000 fans in the stadium, stadium packed, 
football going on. I don't know how this shakes out, but that's hard to imagine shaking out that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, imagine what this will do, though, for betting if they, if they come back to me, which the NFL, you know, uh, kept at, you know, a fierce arm's distance for years until it was legalized and they could get their cut of the action and suddenly their concerns kind of vanished. And, you know, they're business people and, and, and you know, you know, it, it, we don't know. And, and I will tell you that, you know, on an emotional level, it, it, it's important for people, I think, to look forward to that if it can happen. All the other things you and I have talked about. Well, will these fans have jobs? Will they have the same quality jobs? Um, how many have had personal loss in their in their extended families because of this? Um, you know, what is the health care situation in this country? What is the political situation in this country? I mean, those are all much more important and much more, you know, the gap between them as issues and sports as diversion have, you know, was always slight. Now it's a chasm. It should be if you're responsible. Doesn't mean you can't lose yourself on in the games and, 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 and take refuge there. You should, but uh, that's not what I'm thinking about right now. Well, Bob, I want to thank you very much for your time today. I truly appreciate it. I missed hearing your voice. I miss seeing your face. And it's nice to be able to just touch base today, and I hope we'll get the chance to do this again at some point. And until then, I hope your family's well. I hope you stay safe. And uh, thank you very much for the time. Uh, every, everybody's as well. We're going to work at that. I know you will, too. And I don't care what they say at the CDC. Next time I see you, I'm going to hug you. <laughs> I'll look forward to that, Bob. I can't wait for that. That would be All awesome. Right. God bless. And there's longtime ESPN anchor Bob Lee, who is as smooth and polished on air as anyone I've ever worked with. And I've always told people, and I mean this, that if he wanted, he could have hosted the evening newscast and been as good as David Muir or Lester Holt or anybody who's on air these days. Bob Lee could have been that man who is sitting in that anchor chair delivering your nightly news. That's how good he is. That's Bob Lee. And now for a medical update at what our country faces, the NFLPA's medical director, Tom Mayer. All right, joining us now for the second straight week on the Adam Schefter podcast, the medical director of the NFL Players Association, Dr. Tom Mayer. Dr. Mayer, thank you very much in advance. And for those tuning into today's podcast and listening in at home or on the road or wherever they may be, we feel like it's important enough with what's going on in our country today to get an update from you as often as we can. And you've been kind enough and gracious enough to grant us your time. And so where we are today on Monday, April 6th, as we tape this, I'm curious if you give us an assessment of where we're at with the virus from your perspective. Well, Adam, it's always a pleasure to be with you and your and your um, listeners. So uh, where we are is, you know, again, emphasize that this is a novel coronavirus, meaning we can't predict its behavior entirely. It's an emerging infectious disease. Uh, so we just have to watch and see what happens. But the newest data, as you probably know, is that uh, we watched a number of new cases and the number of new deaths. Uh, the new ca- number of new cases yesterday was 26,000. That's down from the previous two days, which are in the 34,000 range. New deaths, uh, 1,127, uh, down from 1,322. So that's all good news, uh, still staggering news. And the question is, are we either beginning to hit a plateau uh, or is it going to spike up after that? And the only way to know is to continue to, to watch that. The, the uh, best estimates that you follow still have this uh, week and next week as rising with a peak on April 16th at about uh, 3,000 deaths a day, and then it tails down to about 1,000 deaths per day by April 30th. But, you know, you say that, and and, and you hear those figures, and you think, you know, oh, my gosh, 1,000 lives lost, 1,000 families devastated, and yet that feels like progress, and yet it does. Um, By June 30th, it's projected that there will be no deaths per day. There will be scattered ones, I'm sure. So, the hope is that it's beginning to plateau, and then we enter into that long tail that goes down, uh, which would imply that the guidelines, uh, both hand-washing, physical distancing, and staying at home versus being out, uh, are working. So I uh, hope that's the case. So we want people to keep staying home, staying away from people, keep washing their hands? Yes, absolutely. Right? And I, you know, I said it last week, but... You know, if, if, you're, if your listeners love NFL football, follow the guidelines. 
follow the guidelines, follow the guidelines, and then tell everybody you know to follow the guidelines, because that will have as much to do with whether we have an NFL season as anything else. Now, as we're recording this, the current deaths, according to Johns Hopkins University, are 9,654. And they're talking about this being 100,000, 150,000, 250,000 people. How are we getting from 9,654 to those numbers, Dr. Murray? It's hard for me to imagine that. There have been close to 71,000 deaths globally from the coronavirus pandemic. And there are going to be in the United States six-figure deaths here? Well, Adam, it's an excellent question. Uh, so when you say 100,000 deaths or uh, above that, first of all, the, um, the Gates Foundation and the University of Washington people, their total death forecast is about 81,000, 82,000. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, but, but these are all projections. These are, are good people, smart people, the people sitting in front of computers doing polynomial equations and, and factoring equations where the assumptions drive not arithmetic, you know, two plus two, that's two, but geometric progressions, exponential progressions. So if you get the projections wrong at, at the entry to that uh, model, then you get these huge numbers. It's my personal opinion, and, and Lord knows my fervent hope and prayer, that we don't even hit the 82,000 mark that are deaths, uh, that we hit lower than that. So it's... Um, it's it's all. Of, I mean, I'm not a modeler, but I follow that very closely. I look at uh, five different uh, sites a day to look at it. But uh, it, I can again. I sound like a broken record, but the thing that is going to keep us below those eighty-two thousand to one hundred thousand to two hundred thousand death projections is following the guidelines, because this virus uh, does not sneak into your house. This virus is is communicated or uh, communicable through. Uh, contact close enough that respiratory droplets infect you. So there's hope that we can go way below that level. That would be a huge victory for our country because I'm just looking at these deaths every day, Dr. Mayor, and I say, wow, how are we getting to that number from where we are now? Just crazy to me to think about it like that. Yeah, and I don't think that the people are being irresponsible. They're just following the model that that they uh, put out there. Uh, Governor Cuomo, who I think has done a phenomenal job in briefing uh, regularly and in a, in a reasonable fashion, uh, noted uh, either yesterday or Saturday that he was uh, talking about the the projections, and he said you can't get these people to give you a definite figure. Again, it's not because they're not good people, and it's not because they're not smart. It's because it's a novel virus. It's behaving the way it's behaving. It's like a kid that is finding its legs and finding its way. And, and we have to keep it from going places where it shouldn't go by following the guidelines. Yeah. Now, last week, Dr. Mayor, Dr. Alan Sills, the NFL's chief medical officer, says said that widespread testing would have to be available before we reopen the league and contemplate having fans back in stadiums. Where are you on that idea? Well, I think testing is very important. I, I think you, you can have countless guests come on the show, uh, some so-called experts, each telling you why it's impossible, unreasonable, it's silly to think of having an NFL season because I guess they think it's their job to, be, uh, to put up obstacles. But my job is to take those negative statements, to take all those obstacles, and based on science, fueled by tenacity, knock them down uh, one by one. Not because it's my opinion, but because, as I said, you take science fueled by the commitment. You know, Gretzky famously, Wayne Gretzky famously said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Well, we're going to take all the shots at having a season with two caveats. First, of course, keep the players safe. We're not going to put the players at risk if we're in that position. And number two, keep the community and the nation safe as well. Testing will have a role, both testing for the virus and testing for antibodies, and I've had conversations with uh, a couple of the testing companies, and I have a, a, a upcoming conversation with the CEO of, of Abbott to talk about that. So it will definitely have a role, although at this stage we know what an antibody is. We know how to test for an antibody for the coronavirus. We're not quite certain about what that means. Does that mean that they can't get the disease again? It probably means they were exposed to the disease whether they ever develop symptoms or not. So we'll have the testing will clearly have a role both for players and for fans. But I would say if we end up in a situation where games are played without fans in the stadium, 
in my view, fanless stadiums does not mean fanless football. Uh, you know, there's still the airwaves. There's still the, the you know, 80 million people or such that, that watch these games. So I, I don't think we can look at that as, as a failure if indeed we have to play at least some games without fans in the stadium. But we'll see. Where are we in terms of testing, widespread testing, and getting that in the United States, Dr. Mayor? Testing is very much on the horizon. And in, in, uh, the, the current tests, uh, so-called PCR, a polymerase chain reaction test, are the ones where they, they put a swab in your nose, but they then send it off to a reference lab, and it takes, uh, you know, days, yeah. sometimes up to a week to, to get back. The testing that's emerging and it, it has already been shown to be uh, effective is point-of-care testing or POC testing, if, if, you're, uh, if, if your fans hear that. So what that means is they're able to take that swab to put it into a machine and tell either in five minutes with some of the machines, as long as 45 minutes with other machines, and it's going to tell you, yes, you have the virus or no, you don't have the virus. Shortly on the heels of that, within a couple of weeks, will be more widespread antibody testing. And an antibody occurs when, uh, you know, foreign agent, whether it's a virus or whether it's a bacteria, comes into the body. The body's immune response system generates antibodies, which then attach to the virus and essentially eliminate it from the system. So if you test someone and it shows that they have antibodies, it's right. presumptive evidence that they were exposed to the disease, developed an immune response, and we hope, fingers and toes crossed, means that they won't be reinfected again. But some people have said that they've wanted to do that and that they've struggled to be tested the way that it would be effective to find those antibodies. Like I saw Kaylee Hartung, who's a reporter for ABC, who used to work for ESPN, talked about she had the virus and she wanted to do that and they couldn't get it done. And she's very frustrated by that. Well, I think that, it, you know, this, this is, it's, it may sound boring at first, but, it, but the reality of it is this is supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. How do you get that known test, both the point of care test for the virus or the point of care test for the antibody and get it out to the people? And, and that's all supply chain because uh, the, they're manufacturing at a frenetic pace uh, to, to develop these. And yet we've got to get them to uh, not just the bedside, but, but uh, to patients like your friend who want to know, do I have the virus or have I been exposed to the virus? And, and that, I think, is still a couple of weeks away. I hope it moves a little faster than that. But that depends upon the supply chains to get them where they need to be. What did you learn in your conversations with the people at Abbott and the testing procedures that you had that you think uh, would offer hope to all the people out there, Dr. Mayor? Well, I think the, for the first hope that comes in, as you well know, indecision is one of the, the hugest anxiety producers you could have, and that is not knowing. Did I have the virus? Do I, you know, could I transmit it? I think what we're going to find out, the biggest hope, is that we're able to answer those questions, alleviate that anxiety. But that's also going to drive a lot of decisions about people. For example, if it proves that, that the, uh, a wider swath of the population have antibodies than we expected, it means that a lot of people had the virus but had a, a so mild a form, either that they didn't get that sick or, in some cases, they didn't even know they had it. And I've had several patients tell me that I had no idea that I had it. I just tested and it was positive. So I think all of that is is hopeful. But any answer that's correct, meaning no uh, minimum false negatives and minimum false positive tests, is something that relieves anxiety and gives us hope. We're also, as we're recording this, waiting to hear the official word on the NFL's offseason program. There have been continuous conversations between the NFL and the NFLPA. Where are we with reaching a resolution there in terms of how this offseason will unfold, although I think we all can figure out where it's going. Yeah, the, uh, first of all, the NFLPA, uh, uh, under D. Smith and, and uh, J.C. Treader's direction, stood up a COVID-19 committee of its own. We have a brain trust. We've talked about that before. Independent scientists that consult with us. We have a task force uh, that we asked to be uh, stepped up between the NFL and the NFLPA to essentially consider the impossible. And that is how do you get to opening the season on time? And we have certainly haven't given up on the idea of having fans in the stands. 
but we've got to have contingency plans. So there's constant thought and discussion. We're trying to get the best minds that we possibly can in. You know, the fact is that that we're, uh, as Teddy Roosevelt said, as you well remember, uh, trying to be the men and women in the arena, trying to be the people who are not critics who point out how it can't be done, but to be the folks that are daring greatly, as, as Roosevelt said, um, so that we can get it done. And you know what? We, we, I think we'll succeed. I've been optimistic about this every time I've talked to you. I'm no less optimistic now um, because I, I, I think we will end up with effective testing, and that will help us find a way to protect our, our players and eventually protect the community. And why do you think that? I think that, it, you know, part of it comes from, as you know, I was a, a command physician at the Pentagon on 9-11, but also the incident commander for Northern Virginia when we had inhalational anthrax. And as a result of that, I was asked to serve on three what are called Defense Science Board or DSB task force on a combination of bioterrorism and weapons of mass destruction. That group of people, you know, really intelligent people, high-ranking officers, two- and three-star generals, uh, as well as others, sit in, in scenario plan and say, what if? What if, uh, it, you know, all kinds of, of things, some of which are classified, come up? And, and we were able to come up with ways in which that could be combated. And, and that gives me hope to say we can find ways to combat the consequences of this cowardly virus that's killing 1,000, 3,000 people a day uh, by reaching down inside and saying, I don't like staying inside. I don't like keeping my distance. I don't like washing my hands all the time. But this is what I have to do to win. This is what we have to do to defeat this uh, virus. So that gives me hope. You know, you bring up some of those examples and some of those comparisons and analogies. Last week, I went out one night to pick up dinner for my family, a place where you call them the order, you give them your credit card over the phone, you walk in, they have bags to the side, you walk out. And when I drove into this shopping center, which was the first time I left my house in about four days, Dr. Mayor, there were maybe 10 cars on Thursday night at 6.30. And if there were 10 people walking around, it was a lot. And everybody had on masks before. They said people should be wearing the mask, gloves. Yes. And it looked like everybody was just trying to avoid the radiation from some nuclear bomb that had gone off. It is so eerie what is going on in New York right now and the way that people are living on the rare occasion that I have gotten out to see that, it, it's it's just remarkable. I'm just curious to know what you would say to people about a scene like that and if that is going to be normal and will be normal for quite some period of time now. Well, I think, uh, first of all, I'd say the same thing that Drew Brees and, and Brittany uh, Brees said when they made their incredible $5 million yeah. donation, which is hang in there, hang tough. You know, we're Americans. We're going to get through this. And um, it, it is a new normal for now, do I think that we're going to be wearing gloves and masks for the rest of our lives? No, absolutely not. Do I think we are going to be washing our hands more carefully than we did in the past? Absolutely. I think we should. Uh, my guess is that as society releases its, meaning uh, governors and, and uh, mayors and, and, and presidents, release the uh, you know, kind of harbor in place uh, edicts that that will change and, and masks will come off, gloves probably the last thing that will come off. Uh, there's one thing that I, I, I hope and pray for, and that is that on the first day of the season, whenever that first day of the NFL season is, first there'll be a moment of silence for all the people who've lost their lives to this vicious and cowardly disease. You know, you feel so badly for every family who suffered this tragedy. But second, there ought to be a standing ovation, not just for the doctors, nurses, paramedics, and firefighters, policemen, others, restaurant workers, who kind of run into the sound of chaos and say, I have my part to do, and I will do it, uh, despite the fact there's some danger. But there ought to be a standing ovation for every citizen in this country, yourself and your staff included, who who did the right thing, who, who did the intelligent thing, who did their part in trying to make sure that uh, that the virus was not spread. Well, Dr. Mayor, I want to thank you very much for your time again. Uh, you continue to offer us great insight, information, and hope. I love those things. I love insight. I love information. I love hope. And we all want the same things here. We want this to go away. We want there to be testing. We want there to be a vaccine. We want there to be all these things that brings back 
a semblance of the world that we knew before this all began to unfold in March. And I thank you again for all your time and help here. It's my pleasure. Harbor safely in the storm. Thank you, Dr. Mayor. We will talk again soon. For the second consecutive week, it is great to have the NFL's medical director, Dr. Tom Mayer, offer up his insight and wisdom. And he's just a great voice to have and to hear at a time like this when a pandemic is sweeping the country and so many families are affected. And we're wondering what some of the answers to these questions are, in addition to whether or not we'll have football, which is the sports angle of all this. But that's the story for another day. And there are many questions. And in fact, Many of you listeners have questions, and what we've tried to do is we've tried to field together enough of these questions to have an Ask Adam segment. For that, I'm going to bring in one of my producers, Christina Buswell. What do we got this week, Christina? So I've pulled a bunch of questions. People are really wanting to know. Robbie Fletcher wants to know, Adam, what is the key to finding and maintaining good relationships with sources in this industry? Well, that's a great question, uh, and I appreciate that one. And I would just say that it would be like anybody in any industry developing relationships. And that is being fair, being honest, doing things that you say you will, uh, standing by your word, not doing things that they would not approve of. And and again, you have a job to do. If there's a player that gets arrested, you're going to report that. You're not going to hold back. But maybe you call the team and you say, hey, just a heads up, we're going to be reporting here that your player was arrested for this violation. Want to give you a heads up. Is there anything you want to say? I think that's part of it. I think that people over time prove their character to people. And as long as you're honest and true and hardworking and do the right thing, just simple things, Christina, right? It sounds pretty easy, but it's not always that way. It's a little harder to do. And I've always tried to do that. And I'd like to think more often than not that I have. Maybe some other people would disagree. But again, I think that life is about relationships, whether you're covering football or working in finance or working in medicine. It's about relationships, right? How does a doctor interact with a patient? What's his disposition? Is your financial person honorable with you? Does he do what he says and says what he does? And so it it just goes back all the time to being a person of your word, I think. How's that for an answer, Christina? I love it. I mean, it's all just about being a real human being and creating real relationships with people. That's it. Right. Next question. Samuel Brenneman wants to know, Adam, during high activity times in the NFL, like free agency, how many hours a day do you think you spend on your phone, either tweeting, texting or calling people? You know, Samuel, I don't I don't know the answer to that question exactly other than it's just that's the job. And, you know, there are peak periods and a peak period is free agency. A peak period is the draft. The draft is going to be weird this year, Christina. Let me tell you something. And I talked about this more. You know, usually we're texting people in a war room, you know, a head coach, a GM, a personnel director, a pro personnel director, a college scouting director, whoever it may be, a vice president with a team, and you're getting an instantaneous response. Well, I could be texting person X with the Carolina Panthers, and they're in a different room. They don't know what they're doing. And so the answers in this year's draft may not flow in quite as quick as they have in other years, or somebody may not know because not everybody's together. So usually you're reaching out to a room and there's, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 people in a room. A lot of people we can reach out to. Now, everybody's kind of in their own space. There is probably an individual decision maker. So the way to get information this year is going to be trickier and more challenging than ever before. Just like general managers like Brandon Bean said on this podcast, it's going to be different. It's going to be different for reporters, too. Harder, I think. You think it's going to be harder for you to report throughout the draft this year? Definitely. Definitely. Without question. I mean, it's just, it's a different deal. There are fewer people that are clustered together. You know, you can reach out to somebody who's in that room. They might know the answer. And they're not on the phone with another team. And they're texting you, right? And they're saying something. But now if I'm reaching out to somebody and he's and he's executing the trade or on the phone with the player, they might not be able to get right back to you. And so we're doing the draft in real time on TV. But the answers might be coming in a few minutes late. If they come in a few minutes late, we're on to the next pick already. So I think it's going to be harder than ever for a reporter this year. And those are challenges that, you know, your average everyday fan probably wouldn't think of. Yeah, well, again, in, in, in the grand scheme of things, what does it really matter? We're dealing with a lot more significant issues right now in our country than the challenges that reporters face during the NFL draft. So I don't want to over-dramatize. I'm just telling you, 
it's going to be different for everybody, including reporters. That's all I'm saying. Well, speaking of the draft, Michael Peterson wants to know, Adam, what are the chances the Chargers do not select a quarterback? And what position would they likely take instead with their sixth pick? Well, Michael, I think you're always looking at BPA, best player available. But this is a team that knows it needs to address the quarterback position. So we don't know who they like right now. We don't know how they have them ranked. But quarterback is a logical pick there at that spot, number six, overall in the first round. Now, let's just say, I'm making this up, they love Jeff Okuda. And Jeff Okuda slides to number six, and he's there. And they have him ranked as the top defensive player. Well, maybe they do that. Maybe they can't resist that defensive player. But in the perfect ideal world, I think they know it's time to go get a quarterback. The question is, which one? Lastly, to wrap things up on a lighter note, since we're all stuck at home, what movies or TV shows have you and your family been watching (laughs) during this time of quarantine? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, we've tried to go through a number of them. My wife and I have watched the uh, movie, TV series, whatever you want to call it, Little Fires Everywhere, which I read the book before, and and it's very, very good. I love the book. The TV series I like a lot. Uh, We watched the first episode of Ozark the other night, although I dozed off and didn't make it to the end. It was very dark and violent. We have watched some of Peyton's Places on ESPN when it had the marathon on Saturday. Did that. Watched a lot of Bravo TV. Housewives, Kardashians, whatever it may be. Honestly, what I try to do um, is I let my wife watch whatever she wants at night. I mean, she's working so hard during the day, cleaning and laundry and getting all the food ready. And so whatever she wants to watch is is, is fine by me. Like, I don't really care. I'm on my phone a lot of times. I'm watching out of the corner of my eye. So whatever she wants to watch is good with me. So that usually means a lot of Bravo. Um, little fires everywhere. We love Kirby or enthusiasm. That season's over. Uh, liked very cavalierly. That season's over. So those are some of the things we're watching. And I, I, I have a feeling we're going to be watching a lot more with all the time we have uh, in quarantine. Hopefully it doesn't last too much longer. Nope, not for you, not for anybody out there, not for our country. Um, but we need to do what's best. And you heard Dr. Mayer talk about the fact that the more we obey the rules, the greater chance there is that we'll have football this year. So that's all we can do is stay inside. I've done that. We've been inside here basically since, what was it, Thursday, March 12th, which was about the day that the world changed. And it may be this way for a whole lot longer. Hopefully not, but we all understand that it might be. And those are sacrifices that we all have to make. I couldn't agree more. Well, Christine, I appreciate you sending along those questions, asking them, and I appreciate the listeners sending those questions as well. And thank you all during this very difficult and challenging time in our country for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Thank you to Brandon Bean. Thank you to Bob Lee. Thank you to Dr. Tom Mayer. And thank you, listener, for tuning in again. We'll be back again next week as the NFL draft, the virtual draft, draws closer than ever before. And until then, be well and stay safe.